Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 229 for December 29th, 2021. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about building skills for a career in CRM rather than just doing a job every week. So fire up your computer and learn something because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Okay, welcome to the show, everybody. Joining me today is... Bill. Hello. Heather. Hi, everybody. And Andrew. Hey, everyone. All in California. This has gotten like real boring because I can't say where you're from anymore. I've been doing it for like 10 years and now you're all in California. I'm just going to keep harping on that. You're going to have to move. Big state. And I was going to say, where do you like the (laughs) idea of the United States is created in California? Like, where do you think? I mean, I used to say I used to say Heather was like in Southern California and then she took me to task for that. And it's like, it's not Southern California. And (laughs) I'm like, everything south of I-80 is pretty much Southern California to me. (laughs) 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 Spoken like a Northern Californian. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a a Nevadan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like when you're from from outside of California, it's just like California, one huge massive blob. Then when you're in California, you really get to know know your area because the traffic's so bad you can't actually get out of your area to see like you don't get right. to see what southern california is because it would take 19 hours to just right get out of the bay area to go see it yeah hey i want to say something real quick before we get started with our show for you guys and for our listeners i had a thought just the other day when i was looking at some of the some of the stats and stuff for our shows. And I saw the show we did last time, which was our holiday gift guide. We had some cooking equipment on there, but that made me think of a few that just popped into my head, a few things. And I was like, man, this would be a great episode. And we could maybe crowdsource a little bit of it and get your guys as the listeners ideas on, or, or have you send in your stories to us, Chris at archeology podcastnetwork.com or wherever you see this show online, you can comment on any of our shows on the, on the website at archpodnet.com, wherever you want to go. But I want to know what the weirdest things you've either done or seen eaten in the field. And I will give you an example. I had a friend, good friend. He was actually in my wedding uh, to my wife and I. We were, we were both friends with him. And he used to, in the morning, when we'd fuel up for, for the gas in the field in the morning, he would go into the gas station. They already had at like 7 a.m. fried chicken uh, on their little thing. And he would get like a couple pieces of like chicken breasts or maybe like thighs or something like that. Something with like a big, you know, surface on it. And he'd pull the chicken skins off. He'd eat the chicken, but he'd pull the skins off and put them in a little bowl of milk. And then he'd eat basically fried, hot fried chicken skins in milk oh, for wow. breakfast. <laughs> sounds like Kellogg's next hit. I mean, right. <laughs> that's the meal so been that's the breakfast food I didn't know existed that I've always wanted to eat. Uh, yuck. <laughs> Dipping chicken skins. Dipping chicken skins. And so. also, you know, that's interesting because like we've been getting all these cookies and I've been trying to eat them as fast as possible to save my family from the risk that's of eating. Right. I've been trying to eat these cookies as fast as possible. You are- hero you are a hero <laughs> well many Never. say so but I, you know i just call Never. myself a normal man yeah but, uh, <laughs> but i've been uh, eating a lot of cookies and milk right because we have mm-hmm. them all so now i'm gonna have this disgusting feeling in my stomach about someone yeah. dipping chicken skins in milk it's good yeah 
Yeah. Now, he would do like, okay. let me, he didn't just dip them in milk. He like put them in the milk and like let them sit for a bit. Right. Like, yeah. and then would like eat it in the car oh with a spoon, goodness. like just like, uh, yeah. And then drink the milk, of course. So what, was he, wanna, what part of the country was he from? That's what He's from uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. Minnesota. okay. So now mm-hmm. I, if there's folks from the upper Midwest, please tell me, <laughs> is this a, is this a culinary delight that we don't know I'm about that upper, you all are just no. like, uh uh-uh. uh, I'm from Illinois. I don't. I mean, that's pretty close. I don't well, think so. I don't know. Maybe the closer you get to Canada, yeah. you know, yeah, we true. need Stephen right. to confer. Is this a new secret Canadian delicacy that we don't know about that's just yeah. only reached Minnesota? Well, send. I don't know when we're going to do this episode, but if we get if we gather enough ideas and, and, and stories, I want you to send them in again, Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or some of our Twitter handles and other contact info is in the show notes or wherever you see this. Just send it to us. If you're a member, you can you can send it to us on Slack. So, yeah, uh, the the weirdest I want to know the weirdest things. What are your what are your crazy habits? And speaking of field skills and being able to, you know dip chicken skins eat, in a single yeah, bound eat what a billy yeah. goat would get sick, you know? <laughs> yeah. eat things that would hurt a billy goat <laughs> yeah exactly today's episode was on heather to plan so heather why don't you kick off our topic for the day nice segue Chris. you're a pro <laughs> that's right <laughs> so i thought we've talked about this in various different you know little tidbits it always comes up and that is how do you get experience that's helpful experience without a job, what's the best place or best opportunity to build your skill set? And what is the skill set you want to build? So, mm-hmm. so yeah. we want, you know, today I thought we'd talk about the types of opportunities and internships and what's useful for gaining your skill set. What is not useful? I think, you know, a lot of times in school, professors need some work. They need, they need some mundane tasks done and, and sorry, Bill, but it does, you know, you know, what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and they need free, free labor. And a lot of the things that you do at school is, is not going to be helpful to building the skill set you need to actually be, you know, marketable in the, in the job market. So, right, right. you know, even though right now, I think the market is really, it's really ripe and jobs are not difficult to to find and, and acquire. That won't always be the case. I think, you know, we've seen this, this field has gone up and up and down, right? And then the other thing is, is that, you know, being able to, just because you have a job doesn't mean that that's assisting in in your ability to build your skill set. And, yeah. and so being a little bit more, now I think it's, it's fair to be maybe a little more picky to really mm-hmm. set your goals and say, okay, this is what I need to do in order to be long, uh, marketable long-term. And what are the jobs that are out there? What, what are going to, what's going to help me build that skill set, the useful skill set. So I got a, something to kick this off with. And I, I believe I've probably talked about this on this show in, in the past when we've just talked about getting a job and stuff like that. I took a class. I had to take a class at my undergrad at the University of North Dakota when I was a senior called Senior Seminar, right? And it was basically a class that was starting to get you prepared for a career in anthropology. Uh, I'm surprised it was not just five minutes long because, you know, you're trying to get ready for a career in anthropology. I mean, how could this actually be a semester? But no, anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things one of the things that we had to put together in this class was our CV. And now keep in mind, I wasn't like some fresh out of high school person in college, right? I think I was 29 or some 29 or 30 when I was in my final year at the undergrad because, you know, I already did four and a half years in the Navy and I was, uh, went through commercial airline training, you know, before I even decided to get on anthropology. So I took a little while to get there. And I showed up to the class where we're supposed to present like our draft of this. And I had like one page and it was probably half a page because I was super irritated by the exercise. And I was really more irritated with myself because I literally had no experience in anthropology. Right. Like I was like, oh, I took this class and did this. Otherwise, I'm highly unqualified for any job I, I might be looking for. Right. And I was just like upset about the whole thing. But my professors, there were two of them that were running the class, were actually really patient and really good and helped me realized that I could take the life skills and things that I learned and papers and things that I was 
that I, that I feel like I did especially good on. Like I had a really great osteology class in my undergrad and we did this whole sketchbook of, you know, of human bones. Like I sketched every bone in the human body and had it in this portfolio and, you know, learning how to side bones and stuff like that. And then other classes that I'd taken that were, you know, like a flit napping exercise and, you know, some other things. And I was able to take those things as, you know, projects that I had done and just talk about them on my CV. And then other stuff like I had leadership skills in the Navy. I had classes I had taken. I had all kinds of stuff that I could put on there. And I ended up with a six page CV. And my CV has never been shorter than that. Like I've just continued like a CV. You continue to add stuff to it can be, you know, as long as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A resume is one to maybe two pages, but a CV yeah. is the thing. But the other side of that, that I think they showed me how to do, and I've always done this since then. And I've told other people about it. The first page of my CV is kind of a resume. It's like a, it's like a summary. I've even got a little graph on there of my field tech versus crew chief versus PI experience, because that's important for jobs. I try to get in Nevada for getting a BLM permit. So I, so I put that right on the front, you know, special licensing and certifications and groups I might belong to. And then, you know, it's just some highlights on the front page and then it gets into education, work experience, all that stuff. But the, the bullet points that they ask for in a job listing, you know, try to have that stuff on the front. This isn't a CV discussion, but (laughs) It's it's all the all the stuff you're about to talk about. Yeah. People may not think is really important, but it, it's super important. Well, I think yeah. that this is as an actually a really good strategy. There's so many skills that are needed to be a good archaeologist. And, you know, you can be what they say, where you have a, a many skills, but you're the master of none. Right. Yeah. So, right. You know, to have your toe dipped in lots of different areas, but then to focus and be really good in certain areas is important. And when you're building your resume, you know, I've I've helped people that work for us build their resume. And when we're putting resumes on proposals, we do it based on the categories, uh, sector Mm -hmm. categories, wastewater management, development, agency, that, that kind of thing. But you can do that same thing with your resume. And I think it's a really good blueprint for building your skill sets. So, you know, when you have a resume, just like Chris was saying, a CV is really good because you can pull from that CV. Never send a, a CV alone to a job or, or to a company you're trying to get a job from. When you send a 35-page CV, um, <laughs> and, and it happens. It. <laughs> it happens. I think the most I've ever seen was 50. <laughs> nice. It's just like tone deaf, first of all. It doesn't yeah. even make sense. It shows that you don't have any understanding of the profession, and it shows a bit of arrogance. But building that CV is good because you can just pull the things that you think are going to be good for the company, you know, that are going to be impressive to the company. But having these skills ahead of time and saying, okay, these are a couple projects that I did that show my ability in this skill set. And Mm -hmm. here's another in this skill set. But having that and then looking and saying, you know what, you'll start realizing, okay, here are all the skill sets that I need to build. You're realizing where you're kind of shy in some areas than in others. And so that's real. I think that would be a really good exercise for anyone is to go and start, you know, pulling stuff off the internet. There's lots of resumes out there and you can look and see, okay, what are things that people are putting on, you know, CRM or archeology, span professional archeology span resumes and, and yeah. use that to, to figure out what you're low in. I mean, we're going to talk right. about that anyway during the podcast, but yeah. Yeah. But I, I would just, I would just second, you. I think the CV thing is so important and, and keep your eye on it. If you're, if you're taking archeology span seriously as a profession, update your CV, as Heather said, look online, my CVs online. I have my students do that all the time. I'm like, Hey man, download my CV. And then I also just a note to everyone, when you see people like me or anybody on this podcast, we'll have a thousand things on our CV. Don't feel bad about that. If you're just starting, right. it's okay. If your CV is short in the beginning, it's supposed to be, you're just starting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, just make sure you understand there's a difference between a resume and a CV. And actually, I really like the idea of what you were saying, Chris, is having, you know, like a first couple introductory pages that this is your resume and then your CV is after that. I mean, always mm-hmm. have the opportunity, you know, always have that CV kind of waiting to give them if that's what they want to see. But, you know, that's the word I'm telling you, so busy. <laughs> You're doing all these projects. The last thing you think about is writing a blurb for your CV for that project you just worked on. But that, I would say that's one like a prime thing to do. Every project that you work on, 
take a, a half an hour, write a nice, concise and descriptive. Don't copy and paste from your last job description. Like really look at what did I do specifically at this job that will that can show my skills. And so write that every single project you do. And if you just do it one project at a time, it's a lot easier. Trust me, I've been there where I'm having to create like 50 different descriptions because, or that I need a description specifically for a certain proposal and I don't have it because I just didn't take the time to write it. So I would, I'd say that's a big, and we're kind of probably getting off sidetracked, but it is, it's important. It's really, really important. It's it's important to talk about this stuff first, I think, because you can have all the skills in the world, but if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to present it in a way that looks beneficial to not only you, but your employer, then it doesn't matter. You could be the the best archeologist on paper that anybody's ever seen. But if you can't articulate that on paper, then nobody's going to see it. If it's buried 50 pages deep on your CV, you know? So I I would also say that uh, I think it's just important to keep the connections that are on your CV because so much about this, if you're serious about getting into archeology span is the networking and you know, to take, seriously these great connections that you have you might not think of them as great but archaeology is a small world Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's it's nice to kind of keep those connections hot if that makes sense yeah i mean you just you have to be very thoughtful when you're writing writing your resume because people literally scan through them they don't read every (laughs) one everything they don't um they look things you'd be surprised and what pops out at people even just formatting a certain way will be helpful. So the other thing too, is to make sure that you're tailoring it for every single job post, because this is a huge thing. And it, you know, it trickles down from all levels of people applying for everything from grant applications to uh, jobs or everything, you know, definitely got to read that specific job post and got to do your very best to make sure that it, that what you're sending them dovetails with what, you know, they're asking for. And I mean, I also, the other thing too, is cover letters. Like I feel like the cover letter is the narrated commercial for yourself too. And if there's a way for you to put that in there, I mean, a lot of employers are only asking for, uh, you know, a resume or a CV, but I feel like if you can squeeze in a cover letter, especially to a CRM company, I mean, like Heather's mentioning, folks are reading this thing with a fine tooth comb. If you've got a one pager or even like a three fourths page that explains exactly how you're the person the perfect person for this job i mean i, I feel like those aren't dead there's there's still a thing mm-hmm. or they're not looking at them with a fine tooth comb <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. a resume yeah. is really good to be very succinct and very targeted and not even like full sentences sometimes just give me the meat but then a cover letter shows who you are you should not be including that in a resume but it's a perfect way of showing who you are as a person and and what you value. And yeah, I think a cover letter is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Just two quick things before we wrap up this segment. So again, that first page of my CV is basically like a resume and I only really send in a resume if they ask for one, but they don't need to look beyond that first page because everything that they asked for Mm -hmm. in the job posting, they say, you need this education, a field school, BLM permittable, you know, so I show the months and, and all that stuff. Like I said, that says, I have these things that are exactly what you asked for. If you want to know more, turn the page. And then when your resume starts to get longer and longer and longer, when I started having to write project proposals and include resumes for that, I started putting together uh, project specific proposals. So if you're working on a historic project in Nevada, then all they really care about for relevant experience is historic projects in Nevada, to be honest, when they're looking and evaluating these proposals and look at the CVs. So I actually turned my CV into what's called a layout document, whereas, you know, each section or each each paragraph, so to speak, the way that I do it is this little block of text that shows, you know, when, where, what company, you know, stuff like that, and a little description of the project. Those are actually text boxes that I could move around rather than using like Microsoft oh, Words, cool. you know, just moving stuff around. So yeah, just actually put them into text boxes. And then that's what's called a layout format versus a paragraph format. And then you just... You just move them as you need and, and then put all that stuff, float all that stuff to page two and mm-hmm. page three or however many it takes. And then behind that, it's like other experience and other projects have been on. So I think we'll wrap it up right there, though. If you've got any ideas, send them into us and we'd love to include this kind of stuff in a follow up episode. But we're going to get back on the other side and talk about the difference between just you know, having a job and working and having fun and drinking at night and on the weekends and having tailgate parties to actually building a career. Back in a minute. 
Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code CRMARC. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 229. And we are essentially getting to our topic right now. It was great to talk about CVs when we first started because everything we're about to talk about now is going to go on that CV, on that resume. And you got to figure out, well, what, what are some good things to put on there? Should you be looking for jobs that, you know, actually help build that? Or should you just take anything? We're going to talk about that right now. So Heather, one of your first ideas for starting this show was what is the difference between having a job in CRM and working towards building a career? So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's really easy, especially in this field to kind of get into the culture of being a CRM professional without actually doing anything to help your career. (laughs) And you know, you, it, it's, it's a fun lifestyle for some, some people don't like it, but it's a fun lifestyle mm-hmm. and it's really easy to jump from project to project because I think there's this immediacy They're constantly in your head. I have to get this next job. You're not just about focusing on the job in front of you. You're always thinking, okay, I got to get that next job. So how, so, or why do I need to get the next job? So I have a paycheck coming in. Right. So I think that's really, it's easy to get into that rut of just making sure that you always have a job, no matter what that job is, because you don't have that, the permanence of a full-time position. And so you're happy to get what you get. And so I think that it's really easy to, to get away from building your career and building your skill set. And that's a concern because a lot of people, you know, People love to be in the field and that's good, but I think it's important to have a well-rounded because eventually, you know, I just turned 50 last week. <laughs> and Ooh, happy birthday. <laughs> and you are, you know, your body starts to feel it more and more, right? So, you know, it's good if you want to stay in archaeology. Obviously, you it's everybody loves being in the field, but if you want to stay in archaeology, you have to be more well-rounded than that. So that when you, let's mm-hmm. say you do, you're fortunate enough to stay in the field and for it to be lucrative for you and to do that for 30 years, but eventually, or 20 years, whatever, for eventually you're going to need some skills to, to be able to go outside of the field. And so how do you build that? And I think that's, that's what I'd like to talk about. And the, the thing is, obviously, not all job tasks are, are helpful in building your skill set. That's actually what I want to talk about, because I'm interested in that statement. You know, some people might think, well, any job will help build my career, right? I'm just going to take whatever I can get and put it on there. So what what kind of stuff wouldn't be helpful? I'm thinking monitoring. Okay, now monitoring, this is a kind of a... It's interesting to say for California. (laughs) Yeah, well, it it helps. Okay, this is an argument, and I know we're going to get comments on this, but (laughs) people are like, monitoring's the most important job out there. Whatever you're about to say, I'm putting on a t-shirt, so just get ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) It is, monitoring is important, obviously, and we need experienced people monitoring so that, because they're on the front lines, right? They're the ones that are actually determined whether or not we see something Mm -hmm. that comes out of the ground. Yes, it's very important, but just to be quite 
honest, it's not uh, monitoring that makes you experienced and useful in a monitoring job. It's the skill sets the, the, uh, that uh, builds your fine-tuned eye to be able to see what it is that's coming out of the ground. So it's not monitoring. You could monitor. We, we have, you, you can have people that have monitored. That's all they've ever done in their career. And they're sitting in their truck the whole time. But they monitor the project, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're just standing there. They're looking at their phone while they're monitoring. That's not somebody who's experienced, who can go out there and actually really do a, a commendable job as a monitor. That skill set that allows them to do it in that way is not from monitoring. Mm. That's from understand understanding artifacts, being able to have that keen eye right out of the corner of your eye per, and, you know, peripheral vision, you can see something. Being able to identify, it's not just an artifact, that it's a difference in soils that can be an indicator of having some uh, cultural deposit. Yeah. So those are the things that make a good monitor, not somebody who's been monitoring for 10 years, because you can have somebody who's monitoring for 10 years and knows nothing. Mm-hmm. So monitoring doesn't help. I would, but I would also say that monitoring sometimes does on the more ancillary parts, like you're dealing with the construction company, you know, when, oh, sure. when things go down. Sure. So that interpersonal aspect of it, I think that can sure. actually be a really good skill set. But I, I get what you mean about sitting in your truck, just like yeah. watching the clock. <laughs> or if all you're doing is monitoring. So let's say you've, you've been working for a company for three years and all you've ever done is monitor. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. Okay. That's not going to be. So when your resume comes across my desk and I look and I see that all you've ever done is monitor, that's not helpful for me. And it's certainly not helpful for me if I'm hiring a crew to do STPs or to do a data recovery, that's not helpful for me. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you're well-rounded. So when you've been doing a lot of monitoring and you know what, you're like the savior (laughs) to practice managers when you're willing to say, yes, I'll go monitor, right? There's a lot of times that people don't want to do it. So, it, you know, you need to balance it out and it's great to monitor. But when you start seeing that you are primarily monitoring, then I think, you know, go to the people that you work for and say, listen, I'd love to have an opportunity. Please, you know, I'm trying to build my skill. Just be honest. I'm trying to build my skill set. And I, please, you know, I'd really like an opportunity to be in the field you know, on projects that are other than monitoring. Right. And they'll, you know, if they're a decent human being, <laughs> they'll help <laughs> you in that. And, you know, if I somebody comes to me, I want to, I, I tell my kids all the time, people are intimidated to talk to professors or teachers or whatever. I'm like, go and ask for help. Everyone likes the good part of even the most despicable people, the good part in somebody likes to help somebody else. So go to your employers and say, you know, I'd like some help building my skill set. And they'll help you out. I'd be surprised if people don't. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. I I think it's probably maybe we should focus more on what are those things that would on be good. good. Uh, what, what do you want? To yeah, focus yeah. On? I, have, um, I have one good one. Um, I, I think if yeah. you can if you can get any experience in the information center, I think that's that's really, really great. You know, whether it's ah, looking up records, yes. you know, that that kind of thing, because that is kind of. Yep that sort of central brain of local archaeology. And it's yes. fun to be like inside the brain. You'll get a, like lots of skills you didn't realize that you needed. Yes. I, that's, that was on the top of my list. Oh, Andrew. right on. Yeah. Does awesome. one of you want to explain what the wackiness of an information center is for those that are not yeah. in California? Oh my God. <laughs> um, here, here, I'll try it and Heather, you know, chime in. So, yeah, no, go for so it. Um, in California, we have these archaeology information centers and they're, basically divided by county because California is such a huge state that the archaeology is divided by county. And it's not every county that has one. Let's say every third county has one. And it's this place where all of the records are stored for like the three counties. Like as an example, uh, UC Santa Barbara until recently was the information center and it took Santa Barbara County and San Luis Obispo County. It's that sort of thing. But you go there for your record search. Like if there's going to be a new project happening, that's where the records are. So you go there and you see what previous records there are. You you might take a Xerox of some of the maps. You figure out what possible archaeology sites there are within a mile of where you're going to be working. And you also make these connections with people who work in the information center. So all that sort of record searching and making of, of connections in that information center place, I think is just one of the best things you can do. Yeah. And that's a really good opportunity for, just like Andrew mentioned, is that 
for the one here in this area, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo mm-hmm. County. It was at UCSB, but now it's been moved to the Santa Barbara Museum of Natural right. History. Just However, happened. they still they still use student interns mm-hmm. to staff these information centers. So if you're in California and you're at any, especially a university that has an information center, you really should do everything you can to be to be on that staff, at least for a period of time, because then you understand record searches. They're, they're the meat and potatoes. They really mm-hmm. are the meat and potatoes of, of a report. And so having an understanding of that, there's another skill set that you can build at an information center. What is that skill set? Put you guys on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Filling out forms. Oh. <laughs> that there is like... That's primo. How a lot of people, they come into CRM and they have no idea how to fill out a DPR. That's so funny, Heather. That was my top list was the DPR paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is something that, you know, you may not, they're not going to sit down and the information center is not going to sit down and teach you how to fill out a DPR form because you're the one that's processing the DPR forms. But I'll tell you one thing, as when you're trying to mine these DPR forms to find information to put in the data set and it's not in there, you learn really fast what a good DPR (laughs) form, Department of Recreation, Parks and Recreation for those that aren't, I, I don't know about other states and how those are titled but anyway we we call it a dpr form here in yeah. california basically the archaeology and, uh, site form for california yes yeah right every every other state has it it's just in california we call it and, and there's a series of and, forms like there's you know there's certain excavation yes. ones certain 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 mapping right. ones and so on and there's actually a right. lot like we're talking about there's a lot of kind of etiquette that goes with these forms that not everyone knows or realizes they can get really finicky yeah. and you want to know the finicky aspect of these things and and you want to know, I mean, one good exercise that Andrew did was, I think, I, if I remember you correctly, you gave a site record that really sucked. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, go try to find, here, here, find, find, find the site that they just, that they described in this, in the site record. And you can't find it. Yeah. I mean, as a technician, you have to be able to communicate and understand that somebody 30 years down the road is going to try to find the archaeological site just with your information and your map. And that's really important to be able to look in the future and see what is going to be useful. So DPR forms are really important. It's hard to teach. And I don't, you know, we're so busy right now in CRM. It's difficult to sit down and really train people. And so if you have the ability to fill out DPR forms, that's one of the questions we ask in interviews. Do you know how to fill out a DPR form? It's really uh, useful. So I would say that that's one aspect. Yeah. And if people are in the dark about DPR forms, you can find them online and just download blank copies. So you can at least start in your own home learning about these things. In order to find those online, if you do really want to find them, it's the 523 DPR. Just to search California archaeology site form 523 DPR and you will find the whole list. And it goes all the way up through uh, their DPR A, B, C, D. And I think it goes up through K or L or something like that uh, all the way to the end. Hopefully you don't find any completed forms. Uh, You know, those you you do come uh, across those. Yeah. Yes, I know, unfortunately. Yeah. The other beautiful thing about this too, having filled out these forms before, they are not easy. A lot of times the company that I was working with, rather than just fill out the DPR form, we'd actually just write the report and then take pieces of the report as much as we possibly yes. could and put them in the DPR oh, form. So if you learn how yep. to fill out the DPR form, you're kind of learning what it yes. takes to put in pieces of the technical report. Yeah, no, if you use something like Wild Note, this isn't a pitch, it's just a fact. We have the 523 DPR forms in there too. And it helps kind of lead you through it when you're using something like that. That's not just a blank page that you're staring at. Kind of somewhat, I won't say walks you through the process. It's not, you do have to have some familiarity with it, but it is a little bit easier when, you know, some fields are pre-filled occasionally by your your project manager before you start. And there's some helpful text in there, just some, some nice benefits of a digital format that you don't get from a paper format. Yes. So, and, and right along that line of thinking, look at when you get an opportunity, when you do look up the DPR form, even if you're not in California, this is a really good, would be a good exercise. Look up the DPR form and see what questions they ask. Yeah. And that will give you an indicator of what questions should be answered in your field form, in your field notes, in uh, a report. Like it's really overwhelming when you start in CRM to figure out what am I like, how am I going to write a report? Mm-hmm. And how many, I guarantee you, every 
person that's listening to this podcast that is working currently has at one point said or shaked in the boots when somebody said, here, I need you to write a report on the survey you just did. Go write a phase one. And and then the company doesn't even give you any direction. Yeah. And that is like, you don't even know where to start. And we just had a, we just were interviewing somebody this past week and she has many, many years in the field, many years. She's been, I shouldn't say in the field, like in CRM, mm -hmm. she's been working for almost 30 years. And she said, well, no, I don't really write. I'm, I, you know, like I would love to write reports, but I don't have any experience writing reports. Mm. And I'm, I know the person I'm like, uh, no, you, yes, you do. <laughs> because it's not just about writing a report from start to finish. In fact, the way we set up things at my company, you're not writing a report start to finish. You shouldn't be. So we have people to write sections. Yeah. So when you get good at writing sections, so that's one thing that it's easier to bite off and build your skill set by looking at also and and you know we talk we'll talk about this later in the next segment but looking at reports and seeing how they're set up and what are the sections that are in there and say okay you know how how could i write that really well and how do people write that so that i make sure that i'm using the right vernacular that i'm formatting it correctly as right. far as what you're writing and the information you're presenting and how you're, presenting. you know, what you're talking about happened to me exactly years ago where they're like, just write this report. And I, I found that one of the, one of the things that helped me was a negative report. I think one of the best places to start is with a negative report. <laughs> and for those who don't know what that is, that's yeah. when you don't find anything, which yeah. that means right. it makes the report really short, but it's a great jumping off point because it gives you the formatting and the basic things that will be talked about. But also with a negative report, one thing, and I, I think we should probably do a whole podcast just on report. Totally. But one thing, when you have a negative finding, you need to support that negative finding even more so than you need to support a positive finding. Or you should be. I think yeah. a lot of people don't. Oh, I didn't find anything here. That's it. I mean, I literally just was asked to peer review a report and it was a phase one report. It was four pages long and that included the introduction. Mm. <laughs> There's no way you can yeah. really provide enough information in four pages, including references, right. to substantiate the fact you didn't find anything. Right. So, well, let's let's round out this segment by including everyone else in the country in this discussion because I would say. If you're not working, I mean, obviously, if you're working in a, a state with complicated site forms like California, Nevada, I mean, there's only one page, but that means it's even more complicated because we don't guide you through the process uh, again, unless you're using some sort of digital format that does. But like Arizona has some pretty crazy, well, I wouldn't say crazy, but some longer site forms. So does Utah. New Mexico has the Laboratory of Anthropology uh, site forms, or is it Laboratory of Archaeology site forms? One of the two. And they're almost identical to the DPRs, to be honest. They're really close, really close to the DPRs. So whatever state you're working in, though, you should probably know what the site form looks like in order yeah. to, like Heather said, know what you're supposed to be looking for and how to characterize that data in a way that they can actually easily put on a site form. I mean, just to wrap up here, I worked in the Southeast for the first few years of my career, never once and still haven't ever seen a site form for South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. I have no idea what they look like because I didn't know to ask. And, and I know that some of those for shovel testing projects, they don't necessarily have site forms the way we're seeing in the West. They more have like site data cards where you just put, hey, I had some positive shovel tests and and here's what we found. And it's it's actually pretty limited, which maybe that's the case, right? I think Louisiana has a half page data card as well that is literally the site form. And some states just have that. But it's good to maybe ask for an example of that so you can see. So let's wrap there. Come back on the other side and keep talking about how you can build your skill sets back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to episode 229 of the Sierra Archaeology Podcast, our third and final segment. And we're talking about how to basically build your skills for a CRM career. And I'll tell you what. We're going to talk now in this segment, at least I'm going to kick this off about talking about what you can actually do when you get on a job to make that job a really good set of bullet points or or buffing up some bullet points that are already on your CV. What can you do for that? And one of the things I'd recommend, especially on larger crews, because it's hard to stand out on a larger crew, is when somebody says, I need this done you raise your hand and you do it, right? And you just, not only will you stand out that way, it might be to do something really crappy. They they might be like, I need to straighten pin flags, (laughs) which is, I'll tell you what, the worst job in the actual world. But like, they like, I need this. I need you to backfill. I need you to do something. Jump up and say, let me do it. Because what that could lead to is when they say, oh, we need a crew chief for this next project or yep. we need somebody to lead this or whatever, the people who do jump up and, and say, I want to do this, I mean, you got to kind of do a good job at what you volunteer to do as well. But the people that do that are the ones that get noticed and the ones that get recognized. Yep. And I mean, also building skills more directly, right? Not just in recognition, but I learned how to run a total station because nobody else knew how to do it on a project. Like we had one delivered or somehow the company I was working for had a total station brought out and like legit nobody on that project knew how to do it, including myself. And I I took it home for a weekend. I Googled the user manual because it didn't come with one. And I watched a bunch of videos and we were on a project up in Washington state near my parents' house. So we were just staying there on the weekends. It was a Monday through Friday project. And I mapped their whole house by the end of the weekend uh, using the total station because somebody had to. And then I was like the total station guy on that project. And you just got to volunteer for that kind of stuff. And if you're not getting those opportunities, like if you want to run the Trimble because you've never run it before, ask if you can do it for the day and then have somebody show you how to do it. And those are good skills that you can bring forward. And there's lots. I mean, I've been put in positions where like, oh, Heather, you're going to do this tomorrow. At least, you know, I got to find out ahead of time (laughs) and I like did some mad Googling, (laughs) you know, you you just, there are lots of great and, you know, in your, your job. Yes. We've talked about how, you know, companies shouldn't be asking for free work, obviously, but in order to build your skill set, you're going to have to do some stuff on the side at, you know, let's say you're working on a project in the field and you're stuck in a hotel do some Googling and, and watch yeah. some, some videos on how to use a you know total station or a Trimble or, or even a GPS unit if you don't know how to use that or a compass if for some reason some professor, unlike Andrew and Bill, of course, mm-hmm. did not teach you how to use a compass. You know, Don't just walk out and expect everybody to do things for you. If you want to have a career, you're going to have to step out and make that happen. And so... And also don't be afraid to ask questions. A lot of times people, we were just talking about reports and people said, and we're not going to go into the reports, but it's an example. They said, hey, we want you to write this, write, write a report or write this section. And you're like, what the heck? I've never even written it. How do I? And if people are afraid to say, I don't know. And if yeah. you want to be successful, you got to be willing to say, I don't know. Ask them for a template. Say, you know what? And it's a fair question. Even if you've written a billion different reports. You haven't written one for that company yet. And you don't know how mm-hmm. that company wants it done. So, you know, ask questions, ask, get, ask them to give you the information in order to do it correctly. And you can package it like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing it the way you want me to do it. Do you have a template or do you have an example that you would like me to follow? And that's a right. fair question. Totally. And I've had experiences where one of the worst things you can do is is say you know something, but yes. don't and then yes. screw everything yes. up. We, yes. had, we had a person speaking of total stations, run a total stations for two weeks. She said she could do it. She did it totally wrong. And we had two weeks worth of totally Bad destroyed data. data. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bill? Don't be that sure. person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and also uh, the other thing, too, that absolutely rescues everyone these days is your phone because yeah. I in the beginning I had this notebook that had all these different photos of artifacts and all kinds of other stuff and you know instructions mm-hmm. on 
all the stuff from how to unlock the doors to our office to everything else. And I was keeping them all in all this paper in this little notebook. And then I started to realize, you know what, I can save like entire reports and I can save whole articles on how to identify cans and all kinds of, you know, different kinds of lithics, all these different photos of different kinds of ceramics and their patterns and stuff. Like I could actually just save that to my phone. And so I don't know, probably around 2008, 2009 or so, I mean, I just started loading all that stuff up. And the other thing that was great is, you know, you have all those things on there. So, you know, talking of total stations, the instruction manual to almost every total station is on the manufacturer's website as a PDF. And you could just totally save that on Dropbox or however you want, Google Docs or whatever you've got on your phone. And then you can just open that thing up when you're in the field, whether you have reception or not, and kind of go through what the instructions are, but you can do that for everything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these, the files that I'm talking about, entire articles, you know, 40 page articles on different ceramic styles and, you know, different types of artifacts and stuff are tiny megabytes now. I mean, your phone can handle hundreds and hundreds of articles, whole eBooks and stuff on your phone that you have that you're out in the field in the middle of the desert and you can just pull up the chronology of nails for the last 300 years yes. and all 19 <laughs> articles that have been written on nails just at the, the, at the moment there and use those nails to identify this kind of wood or this building or structure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, and we all know this and we've all worked for people like this and you know, whatever, but there's project managers and crew chiefs out there that do not have time. So they think for training and they will be mm-hmm. real jerks about it. So mm-hmm. if you feel like you're working for somebody like that, then don't say at the crew meeting in the morning or whatever, Hey, can I run the Trimble today? I've never actually done it before. They're probably going to say, no, I don't have time to train you today because we got to get yeah. a move on. Right. But you can say, Hey, I want to learn how to, I want to use the Trimble for one day next week or next session. What are some things I can look at ahead of time in order to be able to do that. What are some things you can tell me? Because especially like running a Trimble and and different total stations are set up this way too. Do they start a new file every day for for things? Do they start a new file for every site? Do they, you know, what kind of... uh, you know, different feature classes and things like that. Do they use inside their, their submitter device? You know, what what does that stuff look like? Is there anything you can prep for? And then if you don't want to do that, then just prep yourself, right? Like we've said, look online, read the manual, you know, go find some stuff that even might be specific to archeology span on YouTube and say, you know, when you do ask them, say, Hey, I've got a somewhat of an understanding of this. I might need a little bit of help for this just to understand how your company does these things. So can I run this next week? You know, or something like that befriend the guy that is working it like during lunch go sit next to them and talk to them about the tremble say listen i'd really love to learn how to do it and i guarantee you if they've been stuck in that tremble (laughs) they're going to be more than (laughs) happy happy to give it up (laughs) to give it up and to and to help train somebody else so let's say your supervisor your crew chief is not going to willing to do it they may be willing to do it keep trying until Mm -hmm. you find somebody go take somebody out for a beer you know, after the field or Kool-Aid or whatever your preferred drink is. And <laughs> Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> Kool-Aid. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, uh, Every day, you Kool-Aid. You can tell Bill has young children. <laughs> That's um, all right. I'd, I'd yeah. love to have Kool-Aid out in the field. Like, Absolutely. holy cow, awesome. I actually do bring Kool-Aid in the field. Yeah, I oh, like Kool-Aid. Man. Um, yeah. But, you know, go and, and buy somebody a drink afterwards and pick their brain. I mean, people like to help people. So take advantage, not like take advantage of it in a bad way, but take advantage of that. And, and, and also you make friends. I mean, when, when you yeah. have somebody who serves as your mentor, now they're your champion. You've turned just a regular crew, another crew member into your personal mentor and champion. And there's right. nothing wrong with that. So, and that, that relationship will follow you. People, yeah. That person eventually is going to be a crew chief. Eventually they're going to be a PM. And they're going to see, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, when I'm hi- when we're hiring, the people that I put forward are people that I are a known entity to me. Uh, I know mm-hmm. they're good people. I know they're hard workers. And they're the ones that I'm more apt to go and pursue to see if they'll come and work for us. So when you build that relationship, just like Andrew was saying earlier, is those are key relationships that are going to help you years down the road. Going back to a statement we said a while ago about being the one who volunteers to do different things. I'm not great at all of the stuff. Like I, I hate the total station yeah. Uh, and I don't really necessarily like the Trimble so much, but the key is to, 
try and volunteer yourself for stuff that you don't necessarily like sometimes so that you know how to do those things. Like I'm yes. horrible yeah. at drawing and everything, but drawing a profile and stuff, I can, I can do it. I can, you know, make my way through it because I forced myself to do things I didn't like. Whereas I've seen some people who just love the mapping and they consider themselves the mapping person. And then yeah. they just, you know, they don't want to dig. They don't want to look at artifacts. They don't want to do anything. So they get super good at the mapping. But then what happens when, you know, the chips are down and we need everyone to help dig probes or we have too many artifacts and we really got to get these things bagged and stuff before we can even go home? Well, that person doesn't really know the difference between different kinds of artifacts because they never spent the time doing it. So, you know, the stuff you'll there will always be things that you like doing, for example, digging. I mean, I love digging <laughs> all of the ways of digging, all of that stuff. I love that stuff and can do it all day long. But you know, if I didn't, if I didn't ever learn how to use the total station or whatever, then I would just, I would be a liability rather than someone who's an asset in the yep. field. So you got to force yourself to get out of your box. Otherwise you'll be super good at one thing. And, and over the years, you just won't really even know how to do other things. Yeah, I totally agree with Bill. I'm like the anti-Bill because I am the mapping guy, you know, and, I, <laughs> and I've done excavation, but not, I'm not as like comfortable with it. But I like to push myself. I enjoy learning new things. Mm -hmm. so, and, and I don't want to be chained to the yeah, to the total station, you know, yeah. so sometimes I don't I, like I won't say, oh, yeah, I'm really great at the total station because I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. This is a really good discussion because. You know, Bill likes to dig. Andrew likes to map, you know, uh, whatever it is. If you don't know, if you can't make those statements to somebody else about the crew that you are managing, then you're not doing as good a job as you should be doing managing. Because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if, like Bill said, you don't like to run the Trimble, you don't like to run the Total Station, as a manager of a project or even a project manager, or even a crew chief, you should probably have an understanding of how some of these things work. Uh, you know, I, I like to akin it to like, like the military, for example, the general that's in charge of 40,000 troops does not know how to change the oil in the Jeep. And they don't have to know how to do that. Right. But they'd have to know how to get that done from the top level. And that is right on down the line. Now, obviously, it's a little smaller scale when you're talking about being a crew chief or a project manager. But sometimes you might be managing a project later on in your career of, you know, 30 people and you've got to get all this stuff done and you've got to get the report written and you've got to get all the logistics down. That's what I like doing. I like doing logistics. Right. So follow your or follow your skill sets. And if your career trajectory, as we've been talking about this entire show, is to maintain a career in CRM, then in, like any career, you're probably going to slowly move up that chain. And it's going to be beneficial to you to have knowledge, not be an expert in, but have knowledge of every facet of that project so you can at least have the ability to put somebody on it and be confident in the fact that they're doing a good job because if they're if you've got somebody on the total station well you damn well better be checking that data every once in a while it's nothing on them you just got to check that data every once in yep. a while to make sure you don't end up with two weeks of garbage data <laughs> absolutely i think the one thing just you know we talk about interpersonal skills a lot of these intangibles that are so important that i don't even think a lot of managers would be able to communicate and say, this is what I'm looking for. But you want that the manager, whoever it is that's assigning work, to understand you as that go-to person. Yeah. You yeah. are the person that when they need somebody, you're that go-to person. Why? Because I can put anything in front of Johnny or Jane and 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 they can do it. And also somebody who if they don't know it, they're willing, they're willing to say they don't know it and they're willing to uh, mm -hmm. learn it quick, to do everything they can yeah. to learn it quick. And there's one, one thing that I think people, uh, as far as building your career, that people miss out on a lot is taking advantage of certain opportunities. And one of those opportunities is how many times do we um, have a rain day? Like we actually in California for the first time, we have like multiple rain days coming up, right? And I can guarantee you, that a lot of the people that work for us uh, as an, in an as-needed basis are going to be like, oh, my goodness, this is my time to relax, when really they don't even work 40 hours a week, honestly. They're, they're not working that much. This is an opportunity for, let's say you have a half day and, and you're out in the, you're monitoring and, and the crew ends early and you have a half day. It would be really great, number one, to at some point, at some point, every as-needed employees should try to step inside of the office of the company that you're working for. 
How many people work as an anesthesia employee have never stepped into office? That happens all the time. Oh, so, yeah, there's offices I've never seen. Yeah, so people don't even know your face. You're just a name yeah. or a voice over a phone. And and sometimes they don't even know your voice because everything's been done through email. And, you mm -hmm. know, that's don't let other people's inability to manage people well affect your career. So take yeah. that, you know, make that take that initiative and go and say, hey, you know what? We finished early. Let's say the office is nearby. Not that it's too far away, but let's say you happen to be in a project location. Always know where you're at and say, you know what? Oh, look, they're so-and-so's office is right down the road or a few miles away. Take the initiative to go in there and meet them and talk to them. And then you let's say you have a half day. Now you know where the office is. You say, hey, so-and-so, um, I've got, I got a half day and we finished early. Do you have any kind of work that you need done in the office right <laughs> yeah. now? Because I'll do anything you need, right? So you can go in there. And a lot of times people are asking, can I get, oh, I want to do lab work. I want to do this. I want to do that. And a lot of times they're picky. You just have, even if it means sweeping their floors uh, in the lab to make sure it's a nice sterile place, whatever you can do to get in that room, eventually you're going to get those tasks. They're still paying you. The one thing is always be careful. Don't ask after an eight hour day, can I come in the, in the lab and, and help? They're not, they're going to say no. You know why? Because now you're going to get overtime. So, but <laughs> those opportunities where you have a half a day or where there's a rain day, you were scheduled to go down there and now you're, you know, you're, you don't have any work at all. Like you have, maybe you got your four hour minimum, but you, you have nothing else to do for the rest of the day, take advantage of that and call up and say, Hey, yeah. you know, do you have some, any yeah. work? I, I can tell you, I have so many, so many mundane tasks that there's no way we can, we're just so busy. We can't do it that um, I would love for somebody to call in and say that. And I say, absolutely. I have, you know, all this data entry I yeah. need to be done. Yeah, it needs to be done. Well, yeah, yeah I, I had that on my list too, Heather. And, and I just feel like the first part of just physically going into the office, e even if you're just like, hi, I just like to introduce myself and, you know, yes. say, say hello and maybe, you know, get the tour of the office or something like that. Just that, that first step shows a level of professionalism. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, this has been a great show and I'll just one final point on that. Sometimes don't be sad about this. You just can't get to the office. I worked for companies where yeah. I was in a completely different state and the office was not in that state. Sure. <laughs> that, yeah. That's why I've never been there, but yeah. you know, get to know the people that are out in the field, of course, and, uh, and make those connections. So anyway, this has been really good. If you've got some tips and tricks, please send them on over to us again, anywhere you can find this podcast, you can usually comment on it. And exact, I, I saw somebody comment in iTunes. Those are the kind of comments we can't get. Obviously we see them every once in a while, but Apple doesn't let us know they're there. So, you know, try to do Facebook, Twitter, or on the website or email me directly, Chris at, archaeologypodcastnetwork.com and we'll possibly get them on the show so anyway thanks for this this has been awesome again if you got any uh, interesting or disgusting foods you've heard about uh, people eating or practices they have or whatever the case may be Donald's cheeseburgers sitting outside of a refrigerator and just uh, bought in mass for the session sitting in a drawer in the hotel room is another one that's coming to mind so nice. not me anyway <laughs> that's, you still ate one though it was offered i mean seriously you turn someone down a gift a gift like right, that you turn that right. gift down right right so all right so hopefully that's a future episode coming out and we'll have that done so have everybody have a hope you had a great 2021 hope you have a better 2022 coming up and we'll see it in the new year that's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at archpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Take it easy. See you later, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, 
Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.